Good morning to everyone. Let me just uh, set my timer. I don't want to go too far beyond. It is a great blessing to gather around the word of life and to hear the life-giving words of Jesus that our soul desperately thirsts for. So before we open up his word, let us come to him in prayer once again. Abba, Father, you have said in your word that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. We thank you, Father, that you have sent the word of God, Jesus Christ, into the world and into the darkness of our hearts. Lord Jesus, as we gather here this morning, like Simon Peter, we confess, to whom shall we go? For you have the words of eternal life. Father, you know that our greatest need this morning above anything else is to hear the life-giving words of your Son. So we ask that your Spirit would open the hearts of our, the ears of our hearts to hear from you, to hear your living voice this very morning. And in hearing your word, may we be raised to new life with Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' most precious name we pray. Amen. So, this morning we continue on with the main theme of our chapel series, Alive in the Spirit. And what a glorious truth this is, as the Apostle Paul reminds us in the book of Romans. Romans chapter 6, we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death, in order, just as Christ was raised from the dead, by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if, if we have been united with Him in a death like this, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. We know that our old self was crucified with Him, in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also will live with Him. What a lofty description of the Christian life by Paul. Alive with Christ, our body of sin, brought to nothing, alive in the Spirit. All of these are great, glorious truths about the Christian life. However, this morning, I want to uh, begin our reflection on this theme by asking a rather anticlimactic question. And that is, 
is this really our experience of the Christian life? Am I really experiencing the freedom from the law of sin and death that Paul talks constantly about in Romans chapter 6 to 8? For many Christians, we are painfully aware of such a thing called the sanctification gap. And what is this sanctification gap? That is, we compare the lofty vision of the Christian life as presented in the New Testament with the present reality of our own spiritual lives. And we see a gap so wide it's as wide as the Grand Canyon itself. And then we return to watching Netflix and pretend that it is not there. One surprising person that is painfully aware of this sanctification gap is the great missionary to China, Hudson Taylor. There is no Netflix in Hudson Taylor's time, so he is forced to confront this disconnect in his own life. And Hudson Taylor wrote to his sister and shared about the difficult last few months he has been experiencing. Now, it's important to note that at this point, Hudson Taylor was around 37 years old when he wrote to his sister. He has been a Christian for about 20 years. He is leading the China Inland Mission and is in the thick of pioneering mission work in China. And this is what he wrote. I knew that if only I could abide in Christ, all would be well. But I could not. I would begin the day with prayer, determined not to take my eyes of him for a moment, but pressure of duties, something's very trying, and constant interruptions apt to be so wearing, cause me to forget him. Then one's nerves get so fretted in this climate that temptations to irritability, hard thoughts, and sometimes unkind words are all the more difficult to control. Each day brought its register of sin and failure, of lack of power. To will was indeed present with me, but how to perform, I found not. Then came the question, is there no rescue? Must it be thirst to the end, constant conflict, and too often defeat? How could I preach with sincerity that to those who received Jesus, to them gave He power to become the sons of God when it was not so in my own experience? Instead of growing stronger, I seemed to be getting weaker and to have less power against sin. And no wonder, for faith and even hope were getting low. I hated myself, I hated my sin, yet gained no strength against it. Wow. I mean, 
These are not the words of any random Christian. This is Hudson Taylor. He is virtually a Protestant saint. I bet Emma Kareen has a picture of Hudson Taylor in her wallet. <laughs> <laughs> now, if this is the best that the great Hudson Taylor can do, what hope is there for me to bridge the sanctification gap? Is being alive in the Spirit as described by Paul a genuine reality? Or is it just some impossible ideal that, I can, ne that can never be realized in this life? So what exactly do we do with this sanctification gap? How do we bridge this painful disconnect in our own lives? Well, there are three popular ways in the life of the church in which we try to bridge this sanctification gap. And all three are ultimately problematic. First of all, there is the way of cheap grace. The way to walk in the way of cheap grace is to use the grace of God as an excuse to not live out the demands of the Christian life and the demands of Jesus upon the church. Cheap grace presumes that it is okay to live in sin and to continue in the life of sin because God will forgive me anyway. And He must forgive me because that is His job. Well, the problem with cheap grace is that it is not the grace of Jesus Christ. As Jesus himself reminds us, that those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. And this is why the great German theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer warns the church that cheap grace is the deadly enemy of our church. Cheap grace means the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance, grace without discipleship, grace without the cross. Those who try to use cheap grace as a dispensation from following Christ are simply deceiving themselves. We confess that although our church is orthodox as far as the doctrine of grace is concerned, we are no longer sure that we are members of a church which follows its Lord. That stinks. So if the path of cheap grace is not the answer, then what is the alternative to cheap grace? Well, how about the path of just try harder? The way of just try harder says, Stop making excuses for our pathetic Christian life. Just knuck, let us just knuckle down, show some backbone, and we will bridge this sanctification gap with brute willpower and human determination. But of course, this is just plain foolishness. As Paul reminds us, are you so foolish 
Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Do you really think that brute willpower and human determination is able to bring you to perfection, is able to bridge this sanctification gap? Brute human willpower and determination can never hope to bridge this gap. We all recognize that the Holy Spirit must somehow help us if there's any chance for us to bridge this gap. This then brings us to the third popular pathway within the life of the church, which is what I call the way of the gas station. The gas station approach to the Christian life. By the way, there really is a gas company called Spirit Petroleum. Right? This, is not, this is not Photoshop. Right? This is, there is actually a petroleum company called Spirit Petroleum. I wonder if they are Christian. <laughs> so the way of the gas station goes something like this. You are like a car. And you recognize that you cannot drive forward by your own strength, by your own power. You need the power of God to drive you forward. So where do you get this divine power? Well, from God, of course. And God is just like a cosmic gas station. You drive up to this gas station, you pray really hard that God will fill you up with spirit fuel, and If you have faith, then God will top up your your empty tank and fill you with this magic spirit fuel. You then drive off, fighting battles for the glory of God until you run dry. And then you come back to this cosmic gas station and be filled with the spirit one more time. And this cycle goes on and on and on. There's even a theme song for this approach to the Christian life. It is called, Give me oil in my lamp, keep me burning, burning, burning. Give me oil in my lamp, oh God. Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> okay, I'm, that's, that's the reason why I don't teach music. <laughs> so this description of the Christian life might sound a bit comical. But this is effectively what is being taught in many segments of the Christian church. Before becoming an academic, I was actually involved as a, as a staff worker for a well-known uh, campus ministry. And this is effectively what they teach. And as a staff, this was what I was teaching to many students that we were ministering to. This is how you live the Christian life. Thankfully, God has forgiven me of my sins. So, um, why exactly is this approach problematic? Why exactly is this approach to the Christian life problematic? Well, to understand the problem with this approach to the Christian life, we first need to understand what exactly is the transforming power of the Spirit. The transforming power of the Spirit is not some magic spirit fuel. 
Paul in chapter 8 of Romans points us to the heart of the transforming power of the Spirit. Romans chapter 8, verse 12. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoptions as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Now, this is a rich and fascinating passage that tells us a number of important points about the way of the gospel, right? that makes it distinct from the way of cheap grace, the way of just try harder, and the way of the divine gas station. First of all, right, it is important to note that Paul grounds the promise of being alive in the Spirit in our sonship in Christ. Verse 13 and 14 says, If by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Now, there's another way of stating Paul's lo uh, logic here. So the logic that Paul presents here is essentially this. You live because you are led by the Spirit to kill the deeds of the body. And you are led by the Spirit because you are sons of God. Right? So the key to killing the deeds of the body is to be led by the Spirit. And the reason why you are led by the Spirit is because you are sons of God. So being alive to God and dead to sin is grounded in our adoption in the sonship of Christ. The reason you are alive in the spirit of sonship is because you are adopted in Christ. And being adopted into the sonship of Christ is at the heart of the Christian gospel. This is because all the blessings of the gospel flows from this great reality that we are adopted into the family of God. And the implications of being adopted into the sonship of Christ is enormous. What this means is that you share in the sonship of Christ. Therefore, God is father to you in the same way that he is father to Jesus Christ. What this means is that God loves us in the same way that He loves Jesus Christ. What this means is that you are beloved by God in the same way that Jesus is beloved by God because you are in Him. We are able to pray to Him as our Father because Jesus prays to Him as Father and we share in His 
sonship and his relationship with the Father. It also means that anything that the Father is willing to give the man Jesus, he is willing to give to you as well. If the Father gives Jesus all things, he gives us all things as well. If the Father gives Jesus the kingdom, he gives us the kingdom as well because we share in the sonship of Christ. If the Father exalts Jesus to the highest place, He exalts us to the highest place as well because we share in the sonship of Christ. If you really think about it, the implications of adoption into the sonship of Christ is mind-boggling. We cannot even begin to grasp its full implications. And this is why Paul says, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor the man of mine imagine the things that God has prepared for those who love Him. And the second important point to note in this passage in Romans is that Paul locates the divine grace to kill the sin within us in being led by the spirit of adoption as sons or the spirit of sonship by whom we cry, Abba, Father. How is sin put to death? Sin is put to death not through slavish fear, but through stirring the deep affections of sonship. The cry of Abba Father, that deep desire, that deep longing for the Father, that deep emotional bond that the Spirit plays within us, that is the key to killing the sin within us. You can even say that we put to death the deeds of the body by the cry of Abba Father. Sin is killed by way of that deep relational bond that we have with God as Father. Now, it is important to note that this bond is Jesus' own bond with the Father. Right? This bond is not simply my personal bond with God. This bond that we have with the Father is ultimately Jesus' own bond with the Father. And because we share in His Sonship, the Spirit takes that bond that is within the heart of Christ and implants it in our own hearts so that we cry with the same cry that Jesus cried out, Abba, Father. Whenever we cry, Abba, Father, it is the cry of Jesus that the Spirit implants within our hearts when we are united with Him. <clears throat> so the emotional bond and deep longing for God as our Father transforms us from deep within. It changes our experience of God. As sons of God, we draw close to God not because we are guilty. Right? We draw close to God not because we are guilty, we have not done our quiet time or we have not prayed enough. We draw close to God because we are ultimately hungry, not because we are guilty. What are we hungry for? We are hungry for 
relational contact with the Father. We are hungry to hear His word to us. We are hungry for the embrace of the Father. We draw close to Him for the same reason that we eat. We eat not because we are guilty. We eat because we are hungry. And the cry of Abba Father is the source of hunger within us. It causes us to be hungry for the embrace of the Father. The cry of Abba Father transforms our ambitions in life. Our deepest ambition in life is not simply to have a, a successful life, but it is to do the will of the Father. That is our deepest ambition in life, to do the will of the Father. So to sum up, what exactly is the transforming power of the Spirit? The transforming grace and power of the Spirit is ultimately the transforming power of communion with God as our Father in and through our union with and participation in the Sonship of Christ by the Spirit of Sonship. The Spirit bears witness that we are children of God. The Spirit allows us to relate to God as Father in Jesus Christ. The Spirit enables us to cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit unites us to the Sonship of Christ. The Spirit unites us to Jesus' own fellowship and communion with God as Father. And this is the essence of eternal life. Eternal life is fellowship. Fellowship with the Father and the Son through the Spirit of Sonship. And it is this communion with God as Father that gives us life. And this is what it means to be alive in the Spirit of Sonship. This is the transforming power that overcomes the law of sin and death in us. This is the path of the gospel, the path of sonship in Christ. Now, it is interesting to note that John Calvin, the great Protestant reformer, John Calvin, when he is listing the titles of the Holy Spirit, right, there are numerous numerous titles given to the Holy Spirit in all of Scripture. But when John Calvin is listing the titles of the Holy Spirit, he lists the spirit of adoption or the spirit of sonship as the number one title of the Holy Spirit. Even though that title only appeared once in all of Scripture, but yet Calvin ranks or or names the number one title of the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of Sonship. And this is because the primary role of the Spirit in the lives of believers right, is to unite us to the incarnate Son of God. It is to adopt us into the Sonship of Christ. Well, now that we have a better understanding of the nature of the transforming power of the Spirit, um, let us return to the gas station model of the Christian life and see why that approach is problematic. 
The problem with the gas station approach to the Christian life is that it conceives of the transforming power of, the, of God in, an, in a very impersonal way, rather in t- than in terms of interpersonal communion, fellowship, and relational growth. This, the gas station approach conceives of the transforming power of God simply as some kind of magic spirit uh, gas or fuel that God gives to you. Notice that you can run, uh, oh, sorry. Notice that you can complete this cycle of depletion and top up a hundred times and yet not grow relationally towards God as your Father in Jesus Christ or not grow in communion and fellowship with God. This is why the gas station approach is ultimately not sustainable in the long term. Because this way of living the Christian life, God is simply an impersonal cosmic gas station. And the impersonal nature of the gas station approach is precisely the reason why the Christian life is not sustainable if you live it that way. Genuine Christian growth is inherently a kind of relational growth. Growing relationally towards God as our Father in Christ, Jesus as our firstborn brother, and the church as our fellow adopted brothers and sisters in Christ. And and it takes intentionality. It takes commitment. It takes hard work to cultivate relational growth through Christ and the spirit of sonship. It doesn't just happen automatically. Now, at this point, um, as the assistant coordinator of the Christian Formation Program, I would like to make a little plug uh, for the Christian Formation Program. And that this path of participation in the Sonship of Christ uh, is precisely at the heart of what we are trying to do. I'm sorry, not this path of this gas station path, but the path of this uh, participation in the sonship of Christ. It's at the heart of what we are trying to do in the Christian formation program here at Prairie. And we would like to invite everyone to dive deeper right, into this life of sonship in Christ together with us, right, regardless of what program you are in. And a good place to start is uh, to join us Um, in our Christian Formation Retreat. It is open to all students. Come and taste and see for yourself uh, what it is like to be, to dive deeper into this life of sonship in Christ. Feel free to contact me or Richie. Now, before I end my time, I would like to finish off the story of Hudson Taylor that I began this talk with. There is a second half to what Hudson Taylor wrote to his uh, sister. And in this second half, he describes his major spiritual turning point in his life. And this turning point was described by his son, Howard Taylor, as his father's spiritual secret. A secret 
that sustained and nourished his vibrant faith for the rest of his life. And in the second half of this letter, he says, When my agony of soul was at its height, a sentence in a letter from dear McCarty was used to remove the scales of my eyes. And the Spirit of God revealed to me the truth of our oneness with Jesus as I had never known before. Notice that at this point, Hudson Taylor has been a Christian for close to 20 years. Right? He has probably heard this truth preached a hundred times. But he never really appreciated the fullness and vastness of its implications. Hudson Taylor is not learning something new here, right? but rather, in that moment of illumination, it came together for him in a way like never before. He understood this foundational truth more deeply than ever. And he goes on to say, the sweetest part if one may speak of one part being sweeter than the other, is the rest which full identification with Christ brings. I am no longer anxious about anything as I realize this, for he, I know, is able to carry out his will, and his will is mine. It makes no matter where he places me or how. That is rather for him to consider than for me. For in the easiest position, he must give me his grace. And in the most difficult, his grace is sufficient. It little matters to my servant whether I send him to buy a few cash worth of things or the most expensive articles. In either case, he looks to me for the money and he brings me his purchases. And his resources are mine, for he is mine and he is with me, and he dwells in me. Do not let us consider him as far off when God has made him one with us, members of his very body. Nor should we look upon his experience, these truths, as for the few. They are the birthright of every child of God, and no one can dispense with them without dishonoring our Lord. The only power for deliverance from sin or for true service is Christ. Indeed, the only true power for deliverance from sin or for true service is union with Christ and participation in His life of communion with the Father. <clears throat> we would like to end our chapel time with a time of response to our Father. I would like to invite the uh, worship team to come back up. Mm. Mm. Listen to the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here and now, our Lord Jesus stands among us. He, whenever His word is preached, whenever His people gather around to hear Him, He stands 
among us. Through his word, he declares to his people gathered here at Prairie College, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Amen.